This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello, VRUP community and industry friends. A quick note that Vancouver Real Estate Podcast is hiring. If you are an agent or if you're going to be licensed in the next 90 days, please reach out at info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Again, that's info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sclina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sclina. And Matt, we should say host, but also realtors with Oakland Realty downtown in Vancouver. Today, a really phenomenal episode. Uh, we've mentioned it on our show for the last few weeks. This is the MLA Intel Report Unpacked with Cameron McNeil and Ryan Lalonde, Executive Directors and Co-Founders of MLA Canada. I love this conversation. I said I was excited about it because their world is one in which they have a lot of skin in the game and all their clients have a lot of skin in the game. And I think it really comes through in yes. the conversation. This is sharp analysis about, especially about the presale market. And and there's some there's some interesting analysis in here of how to analyze a presale versus a resale. Uh, huge takeaways. He, yeah, huge, huge takeaways. Things I'd never heard before. It was, it was an exciting conversation. These guys, you know, we, I think anyone who's listened to, um, you know, I think Cameron's been on six times. This is a sixth time being on the show. Uh, Ryan's been on five times. And anyone that's listened to these episodes, they know that MLA is constantly sifting through the data and finding like the the nuggets of information about, you know, how can we get more insight into the market? And, and that's what we're really sharing on this program is we're talking about everything, everything going on in the development community, things going on in the economy that we're watching for, how to find a deal, things going on in pre-sale versus resale. There's so many amazing takeaways from this episode. So uh, this is the pre-sale forecast. This is the pre-sale forecast in my mind. I feel like we spend a lot of the early part of the year doing forecasts, Adam. I just came across a past guest fan favorite, Richard Whitstock's oh, yeah. nice. Twitter handle. Don't go on Twitter very much anymore. Had two minutes this morning. Of course, went down a Twitter rabbit hole. But uh, he's such a great follow on there. This is from 11 hours ago. Here's Richard's forecast. And I think he, he put it on Twitter. So this is public. I can... I, I can quote him here. I think if you reference, it's okay. Okay, Richard Whitstock, Domus Holmes... Apartment sales up about 30% this month over January 2023. Inventory is still extremely low, similar to January 23 levels. New listing activity is similar to 2023. Also, last year prices rose 6.3% January to May. Hard to see a scenario where we don't blow that out of the water this spring. Yeah. Now, does this feel, I feel like, uh, and we talk about this with, with Cameron and Ryan, like there feels like there's a lot of energy. It's getting very busy. And yet all the forecasts seem very muted still. And this is the first one where I've seen, okay, somebody kind of putting their their neck on the line going, the vibe out there along with the listings versus kind of the, the ramping up in activity, it feels more than one or 2% this year. Right. 
And and we should say, I mean, even um, just anecdotally, but lots of conversations that we're having with people, the activity has changed. The sentiment has completely changed since late last year. Like the new year has really changed the moment with the momentum of the market has changed with the new year, I should say. Absolutely. And, and really what we're noticing on our own listings is a totally different level of activity. So yeah, people are out at the opens. People are uh, writing offers too now. So, you know, and, and I'm seeing multiple offers, which we haven't seen in a while. So that's right. So Matt, we should also say before we get to this conversation with Cameron and Ryan, this episode is sponsored by Scalina Real Estate, which is our real estate company in Vancouver, our office in the Canby Corridor. I should say, this is a new listing that just went live. Yeah. Super exciting. Super exciting new listing went live Monday and open houses both Saturday, Sunday, two to four. You can find it on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. 202-2100 West 3rd Avenue in Kitsilano. This is on Arbutus and 3rd Adam. It's a block off of West 4th, okay? Wow. Like the prime West 4th. Center ice kits. Three blocks to the beach. What, four or five blocks to the Arbutus Greenway. The right. new SkyTrain is four or five blocks. You can't get, this location you can't get better. Two bed, two bath, 937 square feet. We're listed at 929 this under one, a million bucks in kits. Eh? Under a million bucks for a large two bed and under a thousand a foot. Wow. So there you go. Check it out at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Not to be missed. When you're over there, hit sell with us where you can download our most downloaded plan document PDF of all time. Yeah. And it's an instant download. So you sign up for it. It gives you an immediate download. You get to look at the plan. This is the sold plan. Sold stands for start on launch date. So you pick your launch date and you work your way backwards. Really, it's a step-by-step guide how to get your home ready for the market. So go over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, click sell with us, and you can get that instant download. Of course, lots of agents throughout the lower mainland, Alberta. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot you, in you, Kelowna. You click uh, sell, with, sell with us, you can get that document. You can also sell with us. Yeah. You can That's also sell with us. Yeah. So if you're looking to sell this spring, it's a good time. It's a good time to be thinking about next steps to get a property ready because the market is heating up. Uh, but without further ado, Matt, our conversation with Cameron and Ryan. This is Cameron McNeil, Ryan Lalonde, both executive directors and co-founders of MLA Canada. Fantastic having them back. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehaus. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. 
Okay, so we're here with Cameron McNeil and Ryan Lalonde, executive directors and co-founders of MLA Canada, and a couple of beauties, <laughs> as we've been told. <laughs> as we've been told. Yeah, no, we appreciate you, uh, you guys coming back on. Uh, this is a this is a big episode. I think this is uh, fourth for you, Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, and fifth for you, Cam. And we actually uh, we got you a little something uh, just to. Oh. to honor that and are having you on before where in the summer where the studio gets a little hot we got you some v-rep tanks i thought i I appreciate uh it's in an espresso bag i was yeah a couple sleeves of we're we're espresso to wake us up here so this is just for uh when you come back and join us in the summer and hopefully you will oh wait uh, ryan's been on five times oh five times and and six six times times. yeah sorry that's uh, my mistake but uh yeah, it is an extra. They large. ran out of larges. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. This is this is like a uh, small for me. I appreciate. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't remember who was bigger. Anyways, we appreciate you guys coming back. So yeah, thanks for that. So can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourselves and MLA Canada? Oh, you want me to find out? No, I feel yeah, like I open no. these all the time. This is up to you. Sure, you bet. Uh, you know, Karen McNeil, uh, uh, not born in Vancouver, but, uh, you know, came here before I can remember. And so uh, I consider myself born and raised in Vancouver. Went to UBC, met my wife there, and made, you know, made my home uh, here in Vancouver and have been uh, in the real estate development industry for 30, coming on 33 years. And um, have always been on the the sales, marketing, creation, delivery, consumption side of of that. And uh, coming up uh, about 20, 23, 24 years uh, in our own business and uh, have really enjoyed the ride. Great. Uh, yeah, you know, not, not too dissimilar to me, not born in Vancouver from small town Penticton. Which, right, right. Which you guys love to give me a good time about. <laughs> I appreciate that. Similar to Cam, though, this is this is for the most part the only career that I've ever had. So I've been I've been in real estate one way or another since I was a very young boy. My parents loved building homes. Uh, worked on construction sites through through high school and university, and then uh, found my way into the industry in the early two thousands. So this will be my twentieth year in, in real estate, which uh, I can't believe how fast it's gone. You guys are not too dissimilar. We're of the same vintage. Right? Yeah, it's just it's flown by. It, right, it's it has flown by. It's uh, it goes quick because I think I feel like the pace of this industry too it makes it even go quicker. Yeah, but I remember when you guys first started the podcast as well, right? It's almost eight, eight, years eight nine ago. years ago. Yeah, I know it's kind of incredible that we've been doing this for a decade. Wow, <laughs> or near a decade, near a decade. Yeah, the nine year noose. Yeah, <laughs> as we call it. Yeah. You obviously love it as much as it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what about uh, the origin story of MLA? I mean, MLA has been around forever. It's kind of a household name for, in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, keep going on that if you want. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so Cameron and my uh, and myself, we'd known each other, I think, from the early two thousands as well, right? Uh, a lot of overlap. Um, in terms of uh, uh, socially, and you know, we found ourselves in you know early 2014, 15, having some conversation around what would it look like for two organizations that that were involved in sales and marketing programs throughout the Lower Mainland. What would it look like if they came together, and, and how could we do more together um, as, as a partnership? And so that formally happened in 2016. Uh, since then, we've been very focused on growing out our team, 
adding incredible value to the programs that we're, we're privileged to work on. And I think a big part of what gets us both out of the bed is, is we just love creating real estate experiences, right? And, and whether, whether that's how a home buyer enjoys a home or, or whether that's how we uh, have the opportunity to storytell and create incredible uh, homes with the lower mainland. Um, I think that that journey has been a really, a really fun one, uh, over the, especially over the last three to four years. Right, the industry's gone through a lot of struggle and a lot of change, and mm-hmm. through that, innovation is just part of the equation today. Right, you have to have that part of your formula. And would, so, would you? Sorry, Dave, but would you say it's uh, it's happening at a? I mean, it seems like it's happening so quickly now. Like over the last twenty years, as the last three, four in terms of innovation and change, is it accelerating in your minds? That's a really tough question. We talk about that quite a bit. You know, I recall for the first for the first decade of my career, it really didn't feel like the shifts were that dramatic, right? We might've gone from, you know, maybe how we take a phone call to having a digital fax number, right? Uh, and email became more important. Online marketing became a little bit more important. But for the most part, the way you were selling real estate in 2005 didn't, didn't greatly differ to how you were selling it in 2014. What really feels different for us in our space is technology, right? So having really strong data platforms, uh, for us, it's proprietary, but that's been a game changer in the industry because as as so many tier ones and so many great uh, brands are leaning into technology, mm-hmm. that allows that pace of change to happen really quickly. And so it does feel like the iterations now, like the turns are happening quicker and quicker. That's really exciting because you're seeing every brand um, that that are the brands that are in our hearts within, within the home building community of British Columbia. You're seeing them make notable investments into people, into software, trying to change how that experience looks and feels. And I think, I think it's hard to say how much it, it truly has changed in the last one to two years. But I'd say like when you think about the last five and you think about just data alone, it's, it's night and day. Yeah, and, and I, I think maybe I see it from a sort of a, a wider perspective. I, I agree with, with all of that. Um, you know, when I look back at the evolution of, of Vancouver as a city and I think about some of the major chess moves, you know, I started in 1992 and, you know, it was like one of the first towers in Yale Town. 501 that I was, was very lucky to be involved with. And, um, you know, you look at downtown now in the peninsula, it's, it's just an, a completely different place in, uh, you know, what was that, 22 years ago? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and uh, I dragged in some of the old marketing material to show our team and there was no, uh, no one was using the internet. So there's no, no URL, no website. So, you know, we're talking like radio ads and print ads and people coming in and, and, um, and going through uh, an education experience one-on-one with a sales team. And, and so I, I can go and go back and look, look at all these kind of these, these moments in time where technology came in and enabled our business or shifted our business. So I, I still see ourselves in a brick, bricks and mortar and finance business. People are still consuming housing. The complexity of bringing housing to market has, has increased. But nevertheless, the city is going to continue to grow and homeownership is going to continue to be um, the motivator that drives our industry. Uh, technology is a layer that's coming in and I think changing how, how we, how we uh, make better business decisions and how we communicate with consumers. Consumers are much more educated now and have access to information. They have direct access, which is very exciting. But nevertheless, you know, I don't see the industry massively disruptively changing. For example, you know, are, are, are people like, all of a sudden going to stop consuming homes and, you know, just really ramp up the rental side of the business. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, there's some of these trends are kind of ebbing and flowing, but fundamentally, I think in five years, in 15 years from now, we're still, as an industry, building houses, consumers are consuming housing. It's going to be their single largest purchase in most people's lives and, you know, the financing considerations. And so I kind of, I see it much more perhaps from that perspective when I, 
ask that question. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a really, a really interesting part of that would be like, let's just say COVID, right? Like has technology shifted, right? So pre-COVID, I think land values, if you look throughout the lower mainland, for the most part, they were centered around the downtown core and parts, parts of maybe some of those energy centers that are starting to come alive. Richmond was valued quite a bit differently back then than it was today. I think it's not necessarily happening within the industry that some of that change is, is so stark, but I think it's when you think about the power of Zoom and be able to work from home and, and the shift in terms of values and, and maybe consumer behaviors because of that, right? Like where you gather, how you connect, mm-hmm. I think certainly how you live, all of that is so different and, and all of that is impossible without technology. And so it's, it's hard to say that it's just a real estate story, right? It's, it's certainly a lifestyle uh, that's shifted. And as a result of that, we're seeing value in the way that you put projects together and the complexity of those projects have to obviously keep some stride to that. Were you guys surprised? Like one thing I remember, and I feel like if we went back on this show and listened, you know, work from home, the the push out to, you know, further east into the valley, more space, needing a home office. In a lot of ways, I don't want to put words in your mouth, although I think if we went back, we were both thinking that would we'd snap back kind of after COVID. Everybody would go back to the office sooner than it's actually happened. It seems like this hybrid model is here to stay. Does that... Is that surprising to you or is that kind of what you guys were were projecting out from, say, 2021? Because it does, just to, to put it in a larger context here, a lot of the people we had on the show were talking about, oh, how they're going to change amenity space, for instance. And sometimes it felt like, wow, this is kind of knee jerk for something that's hopefully a very finite period in which we're all from home. And then we all, it's like, let's get back to normal, right? I mean, it felt like a really fluid moment in time when you were, when you were in the middle of COVID designing homes for 2023, 2024. And what I think a lot of the, uh, the development partners that we work with did a really good job of was trying to be thoughtful about, of course, we need to account for what we know about real estate in the past, but we also have to account for what it could look like in the future. And so those types of conversations were absolutely happening around the boardroom where the pendulum is way out. And we think that it's probably quite a bit further out than it might be in the future. And so let's try to find some middle ground, right? Some moderation to how we think about programming amenities, the type of value that we're at inside of our, our, our homes. And a lot of it was centered, at least in, in our rooms, uh, were, was centered around demographics, right? What are those shifts that we're expecting to see? But there was a strong expectation, I think, from our leadership team that you're going to see a new value formula emerge. You're going to see uh, suburban replace urban demand. Um, growth outside of energy centers is going to happen. And, and so... I think a, a big part of what we've experienced and, and certainly like what we've learned is maybe where we're landing today is, is going to be maybe the trend line that we're going to experience for the next 24 to 36 months, right? And it seems like a lot of businesses are landing where somewhere between one to two days of flexibility through the work week for the organizations or the services that really rely on relationships, that rely on creative collaboration among teams, right? It feels like there's some organizations that have completely pivoted over and, and delivering complete work from home. And that's interesting for certain businesses. I think for ours, as Cam said, it's, it's a complex business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's relationship-based. Um, and, and I think collaboration and creativity, right? Driving innovation is just a big part of the story for, for our space. Yeah, that's, that's uh, well said, Ryan. I, I, um, I don't think it's, uh, it'll never snap back to what it was. And what's really been an incredible dividend from this has been... Um, particularly in a cosmopolitan city like Vancouver, which has, has strains just due to its scale and constraints, it's unlocked options for people. Mm. It's unlocked new geographies and uh, more, flexible, more flexibility, you know, drop the kids off, you know, 
make a business, you know, make a call and, you know, and then get in the office by 10 or, or take that day off and, and, um, and still feel that support and, uh, that, that cultural shift, um, in the broader employment, uh, space. But, uh, but every business is going to be a little bit different. And, uh, but overall, just unlocking some of those options is such a healthy thing. And it's obviously opened up demand for secondary centers or, or more of the suburban locations, as Ryan was just mentioning. Um, but I do remember going back, this may be in the middle of COVID when we did a show with you. I, I, um, I recall us saying that both Ryan and I predicted it wasn't going to create a black hole in the urban centers. Right. You know, that, that, uh, that uh, there's enough demand to be able to backfill any of the individuals that are that are making choices to to move out of the more urban areas, and that's exactly what's happened. You know, we're seeing you know maybe a few little pockets uh, that are that are languishing a bit, but you know, in the balance of things, and as things start to continue to to shake out going forward, we we certainly think that the high density urban areas are going to remain very desirable. Maybe just to changing gears a little bit and talking about the MLA Intel report and some of the findings that you you ha- you you had with uh, with this report that's going to be. Talking mostly about 2023, we're kind of in the new year here in 2024, and of course we want to talk about projections for 2024. First of all, maybe what is the MLA Intel report, and and why do you produce it, and who's it for? Yeah, <laughs> who reads it? Yeah, no, no, we should say uh, we read it. We've talked about it. Yeah, we've read it. It did go out on the MLA because we're subscribers uh, out on your email this morning. Yeah, right? so it's it's out in the. In the environment now. Yeah, we dropped it this morning on the MLA Newswire. Um, and the Intel report is really is really a perspective. It's a, it's a moment in time perspective around what we came to learn about 2023 and then gives us an opportunity to maybe potentially forecast or share some perspective where we think 2024 will go. For us, uh, we just feel that uh, really understanding and data just plays a really important part of making well, well-informed, educated decisions on on the recommendations that we're a part of. And so this is an easy way for us to share with the marketplace. I think, I think there's a wide range of audiences here, mm-hmm. right? Um, what, what the data tells us in terms of past uh, Intel releases, uh, certainly the development community is very active with this report. They, they do use that information. Um, agents, right? So all of our agent partners, really important for us to be able to share what we've learned. As you guys know, we're very collaborative. And so we look for them for guidance from our agent partners in terms of where demand is going. And then I think to our, our home, uh, our, our home buyer audiences, of course, we know that uh, not only do we propagate through the traditional channels, but a significant amount of pickup happens with actually those that are consuming real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feedback is, is of course, something that we want. And so if there's anyone um, that's, that is listening, that wishes to share some opinions or perspectives, we'd really encourage you. I'm assuming that you guys will link it to the podcast below. I believe that we'll also be able to list out maybe a couple of the other sources that you guys were referencing. So the Newswire is another great solution, mm-hmm. right? That's a daily roundup of, of every piece of real estate news that's hitting the wire. We try to make sure that that lands in your inbox first thing every morning. And, and again, between the Intel report and the Newswire, it's all about just trying to understand what's happening in real estate. I'm just going to take off my, uh, <laughs> is that okay? No, no. <laughs> uh, oof. Just, Trying to get it hotter in here. Just, no, <laughs> I just, I just want to yeah. wear this tonight. No, just keep, 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 <laughs> Don't. keep it clean. <laughs> going to go out for dinner and that puppy. <laughs> so I just want to get, because the, int- one of the interesting things about that report, and I think it it's clearly, it's a sophisticated report, right? But I, I'd say it seems like it, it, the, all those markets would be interested in it for sure. You do a, what is it called? The developer survey. I had to look that up. 
which is super interesting, right? So you guys go and all your developer partners, you conduct a survey. I'm kind of curious, what is the development community thinking about where the risks are, what the opportunities are, what's exciting for 2024? Where are they at? Um, that's sort of a soft pitch into this, uh, into this question. I was just reflecting that, you know, seems like everyone's an economist right now. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite hilarious, right? So I was at an economic forum last week, the head economist from RBC and, uh, somebody, I won't describe to somebody, but anyone could pick any stereotype in their minds right now. And this person should not know anything about economics. (laughs) And, and (laughs) after his presentation, this individual stands up and says, um, I've been watching the yield curve and it is, it is, you know, you know, this, this complicated, this complicated description of something that they've been watching, uh, you know, watching a a channel on and, uh, kind of, made the economists laugh. And uh, I mean, that's the reality is that everybody's watching this information. The sophistication level has gone way up. This was originally designed for a sophisticated audience, mostly our our developer. Then we, of course, realized, as Ryan was saying, that our realtor partners really value it, share it with that. Now we share it widely with our consumers. We, our, our newswire has, what are we up to now for on that? Uh, 12,000 or something like that on that now. And so lots of people are, are, are watching that stuff. And it really aggregates a lot of that of that really good information. But as Ryan was saying, it's the insights that come out of that that are hard or or that are probably the more important parts of that. Right. And, you know, so specifically your question around, uh, well, actually, I'll go a step further. It it also, it starts a conversation. Absolutely. Right across all of these topics. And I think like the the heartbeat of, of our space is all about collaboration, right? And so at very least, it provides some great reference data points that early in the year starts to establish itself in border meetings around, you know, where do you, what do you think is going to happen in immigration? What do you think is going to happen in interest rates? Where do you see the, the yield curve going? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, specifically with developers, I remember last summer when we were chatting, you know, every developer has quite different objectives and risk tolerances and, and, uh, and, and forces. So, so the conversation, um, you know, it's, starts broadly, but, but everyone has a little bit different uh, perspective on that. So, you know, s- some have uh, the luxury of being more patient and others less so. Some are more optimistic about, you know, what, uh, what the short run looks like. Um, so I, I must admit, it, it varies quite a bit. But nevertheless, the development partners that, that we work very closely with are, are pretty optimistic. They're feeling that uh, it's not going to um, roar back that, uh, you know, as interest rates start to, to come down, um, uh, that uh, that's only going to happen because uh, our economy is slowing a little bit as well. So they know that those are kind of contrary forces that it's going to moderate a little bit. But the overall demand is is solid and housing is needed. And the vast majority of our development partners are very optimistic in the, uh, certainly in the medium to long term, very optimistic, but in the short term, pretty optimistic as well. So we're going to see a lot more projects uh, coming back into the market. The good news is that our industry and, and our development partners are pretty sophisticated. And so they're going to not all jump in the pool at the same time. There's going to be some self some self-regulation when it comes to that that inventory coming into the market. And would you say more optimistic about 2024 than 2023? I would, I would yes, I would say that. Ryan, what do you think? It's like a moment in time, right? At the very beginning of 2023, I think that yeah. <laughs> I think that we we're feeling pressures that were very different than today, right? right. So there is the expect the expectation that potentially we could land in a recession, right? And we we're all feeling that at the very beginning, and now. You know, we've, we've, we've endured one year of that. We've all been uncomfortable in different ways uh, around it. I think a lot of developers have pivoted. And now it feels like as we go into 2024, uh, Cam's right, there's just a lot of optimism, right? There's a lot of expectation that rates are going to fall. You're going to see markets expand. Uh, I think there's some very specific markets that 
probably perform really, really well. Cam shared this a few times, but there's there's no doubt this year it's going to be really patchy and scrappy, right? Lots of different marketplaces have an incredible amount of inventory to come. And uh, and some of them are big brands, right? Re- like really strong, established, well-financed tier ones that that will have a very different set of offerings than I think some of the others that wrap around those communities, a little bit smaller in nature, maybe their wood frame, they'll be a little bit more reactive. And so overall, it's exciting, lots of positivity, but but I, uh, you know, we were we were at UDI forecast uh, last week, and it it just it felt like there's a a degree of conservatism on that positivity, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of that just centers around inflation, right? How sticky is it, and what happens to those rates, and when do they begin to come off? It's funny, just because you know we had Brendan <coughs> Augmentson, the chief economist from the BCREA, on, and I feel like the overall the the conversation was really positive, and then at the end, it's like so where are we going to be at the end of the year? And he's like, probably up about a point and a half. And you're like, so the market's basically flat, <laughs> but it feels so much, I, I don't know, to, for me, it feels so much more positive in general than it did a year ago, for sure. But I guess cautious optimism is is the the way to put it. I was, I was listening to that podcast the day after you dropped it. I was on the treadmill and, uh, you know, like the excitement is kind of growing and growing and growing, right? He was, he was touching on a lot of great yeah, data points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like it was going to be a big banger year. Yeah. Um, and at the very- Do you think 10%, 15%? Yeah, like, yeah. what are we going to do? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're in the same place in January 2025. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later today, but I think think that we definitely have some some predictions that that we're feeling. And my guess is that we're, we're both higher than 1.5%. Maybe before we get to that, can we get like a rough summary maybe for how 2023 was in the pre-sale world and space just for somebody who's listening who maybe wasn't following as closely as they, they should have been last year? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, 2023 started out with a lot of cause for concern, right? We had just gone through steady growth of uh, of the overnight interest rate level. And I think, you know, we there, were, there was going to be seven announcements throughout 2023. In the end, we saw three... 25 base point increases. And, and that just continued to, to create these really strong headwinds for the industry. The end result is that we saw, you know, a, a strong number of projects still find their way into the marketplace, just over 100, right? That's about half of some of the peak markets that, that pre-sales experienced in Vancouver, uh, Metro Vancouver. We saw about, uh, what is it, 26,000 transactions happen in the resale space. That's that's obviously well under mm-hmm. um, uh, some of the highs that we've experienced. And, and and from a t- 10-year perspective, obviously a very challenging time for, for home sellers. I think across the whole, a lot of developers had to pivot, right? Many home builders had to think about the impact of interest, not only in terms of how it was driving transactions, but then also in terms of, uh, of when the right time to, to move into the market would be, making sure that they could achieve those pre-sale tests. Um, in 2023, you know, sales revenues was one of the number one talking points within the developer community. Can they achieve the revenues that they need in order to offset rising construction costs? 2024, you fast forward, the number one cause for concern today is can we finance these programs, right? How do we have access to capital, right? Still revenue and construction costs are part of that part of that conversation. But on a whole, 2023 was, was just a very average year for pre-sales. And although it didn't feel like that, uh, there was just over 13,049 units that were released into the market. So they were actually put in a position where a home buyer could connect with them, could purchase. Um, of those, about 6,000 sold, right? So just over 46% of all of the inventory that found its way into the market ended up by the end of the year actually being transacted on. And, and that's hard, 
uh, to think about because I, I think when all of us are reflecting on what it felt like at any one point in time, um, I think our expectation is that that number was going to be quite a bit lower than than almost half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's for sure. I, I'm just going back to one thing. I just want to, for people out there listening and, and myself included. So 2023 was a year in which the development community was concerned about hitting those price targets. It sounds like in in relation to basically rampant inflation and increasing costs across the board. 2024, it sounds like it's financing challenges, if I understand correctly. Cost of money, uh, ability to get that financing done. Can we talk about how that impacts projects coming to market? Like what what are the considerations there and, and how does that play out on the ground differently? Yeah, you want to, yeah, do you mean, uh, when you say financing challenges, you mean from the developer or the consumer of that housing? You mean the, uh, the developer, like that's my understanding of how the development community, based on what you were saying, Ryan, is, is what they're concerned about this year is different than last year. And it's more around financing, if I had that right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The financing, uh, piece of the puzzle for the development community is a real challenge right now. It's not just because of interest rates being higher. Banks and all, all lending avenues for the development community have really, uh, uh tightened up significantly. And, you know, and as a result, um, it's much harder for a developer to achieve financing or if they do, you know, financing that helps make sense of those projects. The good news for that is that, again, that, that just self-regulates the supply. We don't see the, a whole bunch of flood coming in. Uh, developers, the vast majority of those, those that are astute, are going to um, make sure that uh, they're comfortable with their financing options before they bring their projects to market. And, um, and so, uh, yes, uh, it was an environment where more developers were patient and sat back. And, and uh, as a result, we saw less projects uh, than we would historically come into market. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, we see uh, the values have, have maintained themselves. And also I want to remind everybody that, uh, you know, we can't, when I say we, the industry can't sell real estate any less expensive than it's on the market right now. If prices don't support the levels that are at now, those projects just won't come to market at all. So the way I see it is values are for pre-sale uh, product are, or new, any new real estate is bouncing on the bottom. We've sort of hit a floor and, and you know, Ryan and I are confident that that's has nowhere to go but up, but it certainly can't go down. So the financing is a really big, important part of that, you know, as our construction costs and, and, and some of the other realities that we're faced with. But uh, you know, that will ease up in 2024 to some extent partly because of rates, partly because uh, the banks are going to start to uh, open up and you know be open for business a little bit more than they were in 23. I guess one of the insights that falls out of that too, if, if you're a home buyer, right, and you're, li- you're listening uh, to this conversation, because financing is, is, is top of mind for home builders today, sales revenue and construction costs are, are falling secondary. You're going to see really strong incentives in place in the early part of this year to unlock any sales that allow a development partner to be able to achieve a finance test that allows them to start construction, right? And so what you can expect in the early parts of Q1 and Q2 is for unsold inventory, typically in a tower that might be anywhere from 30% to 70% of, of that tower is still being available you'll see really strong incentive programs rolled mm-hmm. out in order to be able to mop up that inventory. And that allows our development partners to put homes into the market because the only way to get the density out of the ground is to find banks that are going, that are obviously going to support those projects. And that has to come with a strong pre-sale. You know, just thinking about the, the perennial, where's the deal? Um, and we've asked you this before, but if you were out you know, looking for a, a, a pre-sale single 
pre-construction unit right now, would you be looking to get in first on the ground floor of a of a of a you know VIP access to some development in the early part of this year? Would you circle back to to a project that launched maybe whatever six months ago, nine months ago? What do they have left? What are the what are the incentives like? Where in the pre-sale uh, marketplace would you would you be looking, knowing what you know? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's certainly an interesting question, but, but uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy question. Yeah. Um, uh, How do you time the market? You know, first, first and foremost, uh, you know, avoid the avoid the desperate seller. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, know? Um, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I, I think priority number one is um, you know, in a healthy, balanced market, a consumer has choice, and uh, it's the kind of market that that Ryan and I love. Uh, excellent value stands out, and so whether you're buying at the beginning or at any stage in the project. I think it's very important that a consumer is able to do their research, work with a really good realtor that knows the market and they don't get caught up in the hype of a project mm-hmm. and just, you know, buy because the fear of loss, you know, I think it's much more about look at all the options and make sure you're getting exceptional value when you stack them up one, you know, together Buy a neighborhood that you believe in or more importantly, you want to live in long term. And I know I'm a broken record on this, but I think it's less about those kind of those 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 really, you know, those timing, you know, oh man, if I waited one extra week, I would have saved $2,000. Like, I think this is a, such a big, big major decision for people that, uh, that, uh, I think it's far more important for people to, uh, you know, whether it's an investment or, or for someone to live in themselves, I think so, obviously someone's living itself, it's also a big investment. So, so I think it's much more about very, very carefully looking at the, the, the broader landscape choosing from a reputable developer that can execute on that project and something that um, is going to provide great relative value. And, um, you know, so you guys in the past have put me on the spot or Ryan on the spot, you know, what do you like or not like it? Where would you buy? And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the overall region is going to do well relative in relative basis. And so advice number one, buy a quality asset in an area that you want to, you want to, you want to live in. Mm-hmm. And if it's just a straight investment that you're never going to walk inside, well, then, of course, there's maybe some other nuances. But what is nice is that those great locations are also great for, for investment. They're great for tenants and they're great for, for future demand as well. Yeah, that's uh, and, and we should dig into that a bit. But that's funny. But we've we over the years, I feel like this year more than ever, we've talked about just buying tier one product, like just buying a really great product. And you see it time after time when it, even in, in soft markets like Q4 of last year, the good product was still selling in the resale market, right? Which is like a lesson. Like it's easy to liquidate whenever you want to sell it, you can sell it. Yeah, you bet. There feels, it certainly feels uh, like over the last 24 months, brand has mattered so much. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's not just because there's a brand associated. It's because what what you can bank on, or 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 I think what you feel when you actually purchase a home from those brands, right? They've they've been very thoughtful about the offering, and and the reality is that they have absolutely sweated over the details, right? And and there's so many great brands out there, like whether it's a it's a Bosa or it's a Strand or it's you know it's a Cressy or an Amicon or name any that are operating at that scale. And and the reality is that the programs are so sophisticated. There's 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 so many incredible resources that are touching these projects by the time that they find their way into the marketplace. I think that that's going to continue, right? You know, through 2024 and 2025, brand name is going to matter for a couple of reasons. One, of course, for the value that Cam's talking about all day, we're, we're hunting how we can put value inside the four walls of the homes that we're a part of. But 
it's the other part uh, earlier in the conversation around financing, right? Those big brands also come with strong guarantees and they come with a track record of thousands of homes delivered and, and institutions get behind that uh, in a really meaningful way. So when you front deposits, sometimes it's 15%, sometimes it's 25%. Uh, when you are putting that money to work for you, you can bank that the, a home's going to be delivered at the end. And I think that that'll be one of the interesting fallouts of the market that we're about to go into is, is which brands actually deliver homes that they're promising. Interesting. So is that, like in your mind, is that just a, a challenging economic times lead to consolidation and, you know, only the strong survive kind of moment? Uh, is that what we're kind of entering into here? You know, I, what we heard at UDI forecast um, I think is the general sense that the industry is feeling right now, which is the scale of these programs, the complexity of these programs, the cost of these programs, right? In order to actually deliver density, it has grown to a magnitude that just did not exist 20 years. Right. And so that barrier is is absolutely increasing. Uh, I think that that's difficult. And, and also specifically just speaking to the notion that there'll be many development partners that are going to have to put programs into the marketplace with really strong incentives, deposit being one of them, um, in order to drive transactions because the performa is is lean or not working. These high interest rates put a lot of pressure on home builders. And I think to your point and to Cameron's point, having a value brand that's been in the marketplace for 30 to 50 years that really understands the cycles, that's well capitalized, that has sophistication and expertise, those are the homes that are going to that, that are actually going to be built. And so I think it's also about recognizing that just because something is being sold does not mean that it will be built. And I think mm-hmm. home buyers have to take caution because we're moving through a period where, you know, we have historical land values, we have rising input costs. It's very challenging to make programs work. But that doesn't mean that they that some developers won't try that maybe should not be trying in the marketplace. And so picking through that, finding value, and that's that's that that that's the point of the question, right? Where is the value and what does the timing look like? I think I think Cam's right. You gotta look long. And I also have to, you know, you have to really think closely about who you're purchasing from. This is making me think that creating supply is a little bit more complicated than rezoning around all the SkyTrain station hubs. <laughs> uh, it, it also makes me it's think... It's not making me feel optimistic. But, but it does, it also, and I haven't thought about this for a long time, but I feel like we had Colin Bowes on the show like two, two or three years ago. No. It was at least, but it was in a super, the market was raging at that time. And he, he actually was frustrated. He was like, man, he was talking about deficiencies in a deficiency walkthrough or something and how how few deficiencies Boza had. But he's like, it all right now doesn't matter. Nobody, everybody's just trying to get a unit. It doesn't, brand is not as important. You know, we've spent 50 years or whatever building this brand. And now it's like when the chickens come home to roost, right? Where exactly. the, all that work of the grinding and the actual brand building uh, really matters. On a few occasions here, just spoken about uh, tier one developers, those that have reputation, be able to deliver and track record. You know, certainly there's a lot of uh, developers that uh, are maybe smaller or, or uh, you know, more boutique in, in, in their positioning or, or maybe just have more of a humble uh, approach to their reputation that can execute 10 out of 10. And I think that's the point is that we need to be able to execute at a 10 out of 10 level. And what you're referring to and what Colin Bose was referring to was that uh, the market was so hot that it could hide some of that. Uh, you know, the uh, a seven out of ten was good enough, and uh, and in the long game, real estate is very complex. The bigger the projects, the more complex they are. But this applies for a duplex as much as it does, uh, you know, a, a three tower project with thousands of units. Being able to execute on a ten out of ten basis. What Ryan's speaking about that when the consumer puts down a deposit, 
confidence that's going to be delivered as promised and going to exceed their expectations uh, is going to be fulfilled. And, uh, and that's what really matters. And so going all the way back to your question about what's the time, it is far less uh, important as, than it is about whom you're buying for, making sure you're buying relative value. And I'm going to repeat one other thing is, is, is that um, this industry cannot deliver housing any less expensively than it is right now. Mm-hmm. So if there is a if there's a if there's a gap in the market or maybe a resale or something like that that seems like it's really cheap, well, that might be a great opportunity to snap up because you know it's very it's much harder to predict you know twelve to eighteen months. But if you're looking you know three five seven years down, you know everyone can be pretty confident that uh, that uh, in 2023, 2024, um, that was probably a pretty good di- time to get into the market. You're gonna look like a genius. <laughs> no use. No, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm looking across the table. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, why don't we talk about maybe some of the factors shaping 2024 then and uh, what's kind of hot on the minds of the development community? Sure. I think, I think, you know, one of the, um, I think one of the bright spots right now is, is all the conversation that's happening around what will happen with interest rates, right? It feels like, Inflation has been far stickier than what what some expected. And as a result of that, we have a very high overnight rate right now. And that's having a huge impact on interest rates. And the expectation is that those will be coming off at some point this year. Some are proposing that it's an April, May, June timeline. And there's others that are saying Q3, Q4. Right. Uh, what, you know, I was listening to some of the earlier, po- that you guys have had a great lineup so far of, of, of cast. Like it's been top notch. And I think, you know, Brandon did a really good job um, his, his note was that by the end of this year, the expectation is that it's somewhere between three and a half and and four percent, and that that feels like a fairly conservative, maybe like an appropriate approach. We can all imagine how it could be a bit higher than that, but mm-hmm. but if we land in that place, well, I think it's a it's a signal to the marketplace that the interest rates that were experienced in 2023 that still had fair number of transaction volumes at them, a lot of five year fixes locked in. It what it what it does is it proves out the values that we're at today. And Cameron's right, input costs aren't dropping, and so as a result of that, I think that relief provides optimism that transactions will pick up, and and there's been markets that have been compressed as a result of those rates, right? Uh, the Fraser Valley, certainly parts of the lower mainland. In some points, it's down anywhere from like 10 to 15 points from that peak. That's notable because it gives some opportunity for those markets to maybe expand out of that hole that it's in today. There's a few others. I mean, obviously the fundamentals around what's happening in the stock market, thinking quite a bit close, like quite a bit about what happens with inflation throughout the rest of the year. There's supply of new homes, right? We know the constraints there. And then of course, there's supply of home buyers, immigration. Um, and so we're trying to pay close attention. And you know, what we attempted to do with the Intel report that and, and it is try to provide some perspective around where each one of those numbers sits and then some perspective around how they're going to impact the market in, in 2024. I think the biggest driver is, is going to be those demand drivers. And so immigration is mm-hmm. top front center for us, whether it's rental or it's home ownership. Uh, what we do know is that there's an incredible demand for Vancouver and Fraser Valley real estate. It's a global demand and we have real challenges on, on unlocking that supply. And that's not going to shift at any point too dramatically over the next two to three years. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll just add to that, that there's, um, there's some macro forces that, that show up either on our shores or in greater Metro Vancouver real estate that can't, can't be ignored. So, um, you know, Ryan touched on a little bit of the stock market there, but, you know, we also have, you know, six to eight trillion dollars in the U.S. alone sitting on the sidelines of cash, just sitting there. 
And if interest rates come down, you know, there could be even a, a, a shock in the market on the positive side where, where people are looking for a return on that cash. And uh, as they flow back from all those money market funds and bonds back, you know, fl- flooding back in the equity markets, there's this euphoria for a while. And um, I think that there's going to be this optimism that shows up in the market. Mm-hmm. People are sitting now and, you know, if you look at both the, uh, the um, as Ryan was touching from, uh, from a report, our, our stats showing uh, the overall supply and the transactional volume being down, but, but they're, they're still in a, in a ratio that's maintaining values. And all of a sudden that euphoria shows up. People are kind of, the reason why that is, is people, people are sitting on their hands kind of waiting and watching, waiting and watching. And all of a sudden that euphoria shows up, people feel, feel this sort of this buoyancy and then that optimism starts to shift. And that consumer comps starts to shift, and then and then it comes back. And so um, I just gave you the U.S. stats, but Canada parallels that. And so you know we've had, as you know, incredible savings over the COVID time, and um, there are a lot of Canadians sitting on on cash. Now it's not broadly, but in the top twenty percent, there's a lot of cash um, that has been um, uh, saved, and uh, there's also a trillion dollars expected to be gifted from the you know to the to the millennials and Gen X from the baby boomers over the next three years, trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we, we talk about this wealth transfer. I think a lot of people think it's upon, you know, parents' death, but it actually happens as a gift. You know, uh, giving while living is, is, uh, is the statement there, right? And so, so we are going to see this constant flow of wealth transfer happening in Canada, people unlocking equity in their real estate or uh, taking major savings. So, uh, you know, I just feel that uh, we probably are, are seeing the... Uh, the, the time in the market, the latter half of 2023, 20, uh, the first half of 24 is probably going to be the time when we're seeing the, the least amount of activity coming into the market. The latter half of this year, we're going to see a lot more real estate coming into the market. It's going to get consumed. And uh, let's also remember that these real estate projects are long timelines. If it's concrete, it's, you know, five to seven years once once you work through the planning part, the planning and the marketing and the, the you know, development and construction side. These long-term projects, we're making business decisions today that aren't going to be delivered for seven years. And mm-hmm. and it, during that time, it's just this growing strain that we have on housing. So I always come back to the long-term view and, and uh, you know, we're all trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen this month? What do you think February is going to hold? Well, you know, there, <laughs> uh, you know, the reality is there's going to be some geopolitical issue or something like that, some oil shock or something like that that we can't predict. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we, we look at the, um, we look at all the, the metrics that we can easily predict that we do have a crystal ball on, but there's going to be these outside forces, but long-term everything on a relative, on a global basis, you know, point to, Canada, Western Canada, you know, BC, Vancouver being up and to the right. Like just touching on that. Yeah. I don't know how you can't be excited. Truly, you can't be excited about real estate right now, right? You have, you know, to your point, a trillion that's going to transfer. You have, that's three years. We have 3% population growth year over year over year. Like we're, we're going after records, records nearly every year. You have rising input costs. Uh, we know that we can't build shelter fast enough. Right. That's very, very clear. And you have rates that are about to drop, you know, anywhere from 100 basis points to 150 basis points, as long as we can prove out that inflation's behind us. And we have some markets that have just dropped 10 to 15 percent throughout the lower mainland. Like if you're looking for a set of circumstances right. that would if identify you can't that, spot if you can't spot yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so whether it's what comes right, whether it's January, February, March or April, that's going to be difficult where the where, where that exact trough point is. But, you know, what, what I think most sophisticated investors, most sophisticated home buyers are looking at is like, well, it's sometime between now and the next six months. And then there's a lot of upside that's going to put incredible pressure on price, right? And I think that if the, if the, if the, the notion is 
what do we think is going to happen over the next two years? And how does that relate to maybe buying affordable real estate today? It's hard to imagine how real estate gets any more affordable. Mm -hmm. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Do you guys put the, so if we call the bottom, is the bottom November 2023? Is it potentially this year? This is all based on the fact that we just said like, who cares about a month or two? But literally, like, are we are we out of it? Because in, in some ways, just based on phone calls and kind of anecdotally our team yeah. transactions, November feels like it might have been the, the I, bottom. I went to dinner with uh, about 20 agents last night for a thing at our brokerage and everyone had the same thing to say. Like their phone is ringing nonstop. Everybody's getting ready. Like it feels like we're at the beginning of, of like a real like proper spring launch. Yeah, here busier than last year at this time. Busy. That's for sure. Yeah, I... I, I uh, I recall in July that I had a pretty optimistic outlook to a similar question that you guys hit me with. That I said that the rear view mirror <laughs> was the bottom, the rear view mirror is yeah. in the bottom. Yeah. And that, and it's kind of like nothing but up from here. And I, you know, and I, I missed that one. We were, we, we, we had a bit of a dead cat. We got, we had this little bit of spring flurry yeah. and then kind of things cooled off again. And, uh, and things showed, things came off a bit in the fall. Our values have been surprisingly resilient and, and we're characterized by a market now where some pockets are strong and some are, are languishing, but not in a massive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, so, um, you know, we strongly feel that, uh, 
you know, I, I use the expression bouncing on the bottom. What I mean by that is we're at a floor and I don't see our, our, our values eroding any further, but I still think it's going to be a bit choppy, meaning some markets are going to be stronger than others over the next six months. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I don't think that should scare anybody from buying. It's the opposite. I think it's, my message is, is don't try to time it precisely. Like right. now, now is a great time to buy as long as you can afford interest rates, you know, um, as long as you can, you, you can handle the interest rate question. That's a, that's a, that's a deeper dive there. But, uh, as long as you can do that and you can think in long term, I would buy a community that, that suits you and that you're excited about. And I'm a bit contrarian. I actually think some of those markets that are languishing are where the best values are. So, uh, anyways, I, uh, I just feel that, uh, that, you know, I probably missed, uh, my timing a little bit here, but that's again, cause I'm always sort of thinking medium to long and, and, you know, I, th- I think that 2024 is going to be a bit interesting between now and the summer and the fall will be very strong, but really what's going on. And the only reason why our buddy Tiff is, is, is holding on interest rates for a while longer is because he knows as soon as we release it, it's going to, un- it's going to unlock his housing yeah. boom. And then, and then we're, and we're going to get another rebound in inflation. So, um, you know, uh, our Fed, uh, you know, the U.S. Feds um, are going to um, probably be a little more aggressive on the down and we're going to hold on. And that's because we have such strong real estate fundamentals here. And and really, he's just holding the dam closed longer and longer and longer. And, and eventually it's going to snap. We're going to have a bit of a, a, a rebound back. What, uh, what, what do you guys think? I mean, you guys are. Connected. Well, I've been watching the yield uh curve bond <laughs> no i haven't i uh no i think i think that's i think that's uh well put i also feel like there's to me it's like there's a whole bunch of people that are watching the market super closely and to your point last year like we felt really optimistic in july as well and then it was like the one two punch of the back to back interest rate increases and and then it just shut down so i feel like it's like inflation numbers right now really matter. Everybody's watching. Uh, right now, there seems to be the optimism, like general consensus that, you know, we might see a full percentage drop this year. Um, but I feel like it, it, it's all based on, on the numbers and the news cycles and uh, that, that it, it could go either way. Yeah, except, except in my, just speaking from people I'm talking to, it does feel like people who have kind of hit pause for the last year, year and a half are now like, all right, they can't wait like, forever. Yeah, like, uh, what's he saying about get off the pot? Like, it, it, life goes on, right? There's more, right now, there's more people that I'm working with actively that are, that are just ready to move and they're sick of waiting. And, yeah. and I feel like it's kind of like, there's so many people like that in, in and around the lower mainland for the last 18 months, two years have been sitting, waiting. And it's like, okay, it's, we're done. We got to move. And, and I wonder about the interest rate, like, cause the one thing about how, affordability has been hit by the interest rate and, and just qualifying stress tests, everything has really kind of shook loose the purse strings, I think, of the bank of mom and dad, because now you're in this situation where like last year, how much gifted money, just even like our client base, like it felt like it was a bigger factor than ever last year, the bank of mom and dad. So the three trillion that you're talking about over the next three years, if anything, I think, yeah, it, it feels like that's what's stabilizing the market in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, we're, we're experiencing that as well in the sales force. We're seeing, yeah. we're, we're seeing a lot of support come from older generations helping the young generation. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's, that's fueling. If I had to guess, though, it's, it's going to be market dependent as well, right? So like, you know, some of, the, some of the worst data is coming out of places like Bowen Island, right? In terms of drops in appreciation, in terms of drop in price values, mm-hmm. um, those resort markets, right? That that relied 
uh, on tourism and also relied on Airbnbs. But for the most part, these were secondary residences, more more often than not cottages, yeah. right? That were kind of purchased for the family when money was really cheap. And now that now that money is really expensive, I think those communities there there's probably some additional suffering um, and uncomfortableness. And I think that those are probably going to continue to trend the same way they've trended in the last six months, right? You're at the tail end of of this market cycle, but people are feeling that that pinch, right? I think in core markets that using Cameron's where its fundamentals are, are more in place, right? Those are certainly in the lower parts of the lower mainland. And I would, you know, I would say that that's everywhere from Chilliwack all the way, all the way to, to downtown. I think in those markets, it's probably a few months ago, right? It's hard to imagine how that, that optimism that we're feeling right now, when you open a newspaper, the headlines are strong. It seems like there's going to be this acute moment in time where real estate just runs the dam that Cam's talking about. It's going to break mm-hmm. and it's going to, you know, we're going to see some really big appreciation values. I think it's hard to say whether it's Q1, Q2, or whether it whether that comes at the end of the year. I think part of the the um, problem that I have, and I, I I even want to blame our politicians, is we throw on these numbers like you know, oh, we have fifty thousand people coming to the province every year, or uh, you know, twenty five thousand housing starts, and no one can really kind of you know uh, have a perspective of what that is. So you know, when we were you know we were here and Ryan was was uh, taking his shirt off. Um, that, that was, uh, that was eight months ago. Our, uh, our province grew 35,000 people since July. And, uh, and Ryan, your numbers there, you know, how many, we released 16,000, all of 23, of which only less than 7,000 were, have been purchased as of yet. You know, we are, um, I'm stating the obvious, but there's just such a massive gap. Mm-hmm. Um, on the last show, I was talking about that we need to build in the next three years, a city the size of Burnaby in British Columbia every single housing unit and bridge and service and road and et cetera. And, uh, you know, and here we are back with you guys. And, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know, there's, that, there's, there's only two Burnaby yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if, 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 if You know, and by the way, when I say uh, uh, those new residents moving here, those are permanent residents. That doesn't include, uh, you know, all the students and everything else that right. we're also having to accommodate. So anyways, it's, it, you know, we are so behind the eight ball and we are never going to catch up. And the comment you made before about the cities opening up all the supply and, you know, and, and look what all the municipalities are doing and the, and the provincial government, well, they finally woken up to this, but, but we can't deliver that. We, there's no way we can construct that as an industry. We just don't have the infrastructure, the, uh, uh, the labor force or even the materials or anything to build it. And even if we did, you know, it's only going to put pressure on prices. So yeah, anyways, and we should clarify, Ryan had his shirt off. We were recording a podcast uh, <laughs> at that time. But the, you know what else I was going to... Going back and looking <laughs> yeah, at that one. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It was, it was, it was, we'll have it, it in was, the show notes. It was 46 uh, degrees here. It, it was a <laughs> sweat ledger. But does that move, do, do you think unlocking maybe some of the zoning, does that move the needle in any kind of meaningful way? Or what was your first impression when, when that was announced? I, uh, uh, you, know, you know, certainly I, I love the fact that we're seeing... Uh, levels of government, particularly senior levels of government, recognize that it's an issue. You know, it's just been so much bureaucracy and so much nimbyism that it's great that that we can uh, start to tackle that, some of those items. But it's really a long overdue baby step. And and uh, as um, John Stavell said at UDI last week, that that I really agreed with is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of still uncertainty, complexity and things to figure out, but it's really showing a cultural shift in the municip- at the municipal level and all the, and the government level to say, this matters. We, you know, we need housing and we got to get, you know, get out of the way and, and start to put things in place that really encourage housing to come to market. And um, so, yes, it's a start. And these broad brushes in many cases don't make sense. You know, like there, there's, 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 there's so many cases where uh, it was kind of maybe uh, not as thoughtful as it could be, but 
But the worst case would be if we did nothing. If we just sat back and 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 didn't do anything, then then that would be terrible. But uh, but nevertheless, I mean, it's a good it's a good first step. But as I said before, we just can't deliver that housing, and um, certainly it's not going to. Um, create a huge land rush and, and, you know, making millionaires because someone happens to own a single family house within 400 meters of a Skytrain station. I think that's going to be uh, uh, overblown a little bit, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it is a good, it is a good step. I mean, it, it matters, right? Every, every additional square footage of density that finds this way, it matters in every marketplace, it, but it's not just about the density. It's, you know, who's going to construct it, right? Right. Who's actually going to build, who's going to finance it. Right. Um, I think when you when you just look at the overall landscape, it's really hard to imagine how at the peak we're somewhere in the mid forty thousand doors per year of housing starts and and we need to be building somewhere around seventy thousand. Right. And to make up that delta is really hard to understand anytime soon how we can even change policy. Mm -hmm. It's incredible that we have all three levels of government now uh, on this problem. I think a consolidated housing platform is probably going to be really supportive of making some of those right decisions, but we're 10 to 20 years out before we get ahead of this demand. And and so from that perspective, if you're you're looking, if you're investing in this marketplace and you're looking at like where and when, it's like Cam's right, you don't need to look at the months. You just need to look at the five and 10 year trends. And and the, the moment that you see that demand is outpacing construction by... 30 to 40% every single year, likely for the next 10 years, it's really clear where that ball is going to go. A real simple test of, of this consumer sentiment long-term is to ask people, would they liquidate their real estate? And everyone's no, they're sitting on their hands and waiting. But well, they know 2023 was, was a perfect example, right? That was basically the verdict. You bet. No, you know, they, they, they you know, if it's, if it's pr- primary residence, there's no, there's no capital gain implication. And if they could have got what they p- bought for it, paid off their mortgage and just stepped out of the market and stick it in cash or whatever, how many people actually did that? Yeah. You know, and so I think the real, the real test here is people want to be long in real estate, but they're just trying to, um, be a bit patient here and watch things. And, uh, and that's, a, you know, I think that's a prudent thing to do, but, uh, hopefully we can reflect back in, in a year from now in this conversation to say that, yeah, we, we nailed, we nailed the, the window there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, that, that's probably a great place to put, uh, put out some numbers here for the pre-sale market in 2024. My understanding based on the conversation so far is more inventory in the latter half of 2024 and a more robust market in in the latter half of 2024 is is what MLA Intel is is suggesting. Can can you kind of unpack that a little bit in terms of where are we at the end of end end of 2024? Um, I, I, what we're proposing is is uh, again similar to to 2023, a more average ten year landscape for transactions and for units release. So our expectation is is a little bit less in terms of the number of doors that find their way into the market. Last year was just over 16,000, had an opportunity. Oh, to, wow. We released 13,000. And of the 13 that actually found its way into the market, uh, we transacted on about 45, 46% of that. This year, not too dissimilar. We think around 13,500 homes will launch, right? So they'll be available to purchase and, and maybe an absorption rate that's a little bit less than, than last year. And the reason the reason why we think that it's going to be a very similar tone is that we still do have a lot of headwinds in Q1 and Q2, right? Buyer confidence is, is our expectation. It's going to continue to grow, right? Um, we, we think that interest rates will continue to be unlocked and that's going to be a really strong signal to the marketplace that maybe maybe the challenges of, of, of the real estate market are a little bit behind us. They're in the rear view. 
that's going to create a lot of optimism and we'll start to see those housing starts push. The big, the big question is when to launch right now for our development partners, right? You guys were asking on the, on the elevator right up, you know, what's, what's been going on so far January. And, you know, what we were sharing is, is, is really since October, it's been flat out. Like that's just the reality of it, right? Uh, we know that there's an incredible amount of inventory that's in a position to come to market. Uh, it's our jobs right now to try to understand that timing, right? To build a really strong strategy. And I think the programs that are going to be successful in 2024, they're going to have a lot of value built into them, right? And that's going to be everything from thoughtfully designed, very efficient floor plans all the way through to like, what are the incentive structures mm-hmm. in place uh, with our, for our home buyers and for our agent partners. We're spending our time on that right now. So Q1, Q2, maybe, maybe less launches than we'd expect, but a really strong flow of new programs into the market starting Q3, Q4. And I think all of them will be looking for what do those tests look like in Q1 and Q2 at the beginning of the year, right? Everyone's looking for those early signals in terms of how recoveries happened. What about the resale market? Oh, you guys, that's your bread and butter. <laughs> that's my question for how, you. How about uh, hottest pre-sale markets? Like where geographically, where do you think the opportunities will be this Also, year? I just, and not to go back to Cameron's point about best value being in some of those languishing markets, uh, name names. Oh, okay. We're getting into it. Making a prediction over an entire year averages the entire year. You know, we have... We have seasonality, summers are slower, you know, the, the December holiday season is, is a little slower. Typically, you know, sometimes we try to bring a project into that window knowing we're going to be, uh, it's going to be uh, less competitive during those times. And then, uh, you know, with the spring market and the fall, with winter spring market and the, uh, sorry, the, the fall winter market is kind of one window and the next is the spring market. And so quite often markets are kind of a, they're two totally different markets, you know, between now and the summer and then, and then the fall. So I think we kind of spoke on that a little bit and, uh, when uh, we were summarizing and thinking about our year and Ryan was, was, uh, was speaking to that, I still think it might be a better buying opportunity for a consumer between now and the summer, although the broader market might be a little less activity. So I would encourage a buyer if they're, if they're thinking to, to, uh, to get into home ownership or, or to add to the investment portfolio now, between now and the summer, I think is a good buying time. So I just wanted to cl- clarify that. But specifically your question in the markets, I really like some of the, um, uh, I like I like West Side, uh, Canby Corridor. You know, let's put this in perspective. Two two towers in Burnaby, and we saw numerous towers come to market last year. You know, two towers would be seven hundred units. We haven't seen seven hundred units released in Canby Corridor in two years. It's an under it's an undersupplied market, and so um, you know, and and the value delta between you know the Canby Corridor and something like Metrotown is actually pretty. It's it's not it's right. not a huge delta. It's actually you know good value, and I think when Oak Ridge um, gets completed. And um, uh, that really becomes, you know, one of the world class, not just a mall, but one of the world class commercial hubs. Uh, I think it's going to elevate the values um, and a trickle down effect on uh, all along the Canby corridor and, you know, in the surrounding areas. So I think it's something to look at. Um, I think uh, I think downtown as well, but I, I would be a little cautious on the super high end. I'm thinking a little bit more of the middle of the bell curve downtown. You, know, you can buy resale downtown, as you guys know, for gosh, not much more than a thousand bucks, thousand twelve hundred dollars a foot can buy a quality piece of real estate there. And that is just you know, phenomenal value in my view, long-term. I know downtown after COVID has uh, had some uh, issues with, with less people uh, working there, but it's, it's slowly coming back. And I think that that's uh, a great opportunity. But nevertheless, those, those major centers, North Road, Burnaby, Coquitlam, Surrey City Center, those areas that are taking a lot of density now, they're going to continue to have incredible momentum. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, 
uh, giving you a very wishy-washy answer to say that uh, those areas that have seen momentum are going to continue to see momentum. I think that if um, if somebody is looking for a little bit more of a boutique location or a location where um, it's much harder to unlock supply, um, I think there's going to see more upside potential. So um, again, some of the areas are already mentioned. And then I also think uh, some of the... Um, the secondary markets are going to continue to be great opportunities. You know, Kelowna now was uh, got got hit pretty hard over 2023, and and uh, the short term rental uh, policies that that showed up. You know, I think that's going to take you know uh, six months to a year to maybe shake out, but long term, I think that they're, they're going to be a great value in some of those markets too. Well, you, I'll build on that a little bit. I think it kind of feels like you just said everywhere. Well, <laughs> <laughs> buy, 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 buy real estate. <laughs> just buy real estate now. Yeah. Truly, though, over a decade, any one of those any one of those geographies is going to perform well when you have a ten year or twenty year time horizon, right? And I think that that's the point. Is from a macro perspective, at this moment in time, you know, you ask where the bottom is. There's going to be incredible deals in resale, and there's going to be incredible deals in pre-sale over the next two quarters. Just like that is very clear. You know, I think you know we're we're active in almost every major community throughout the Lower Mainland right now, um, either with projects in market or programs that are being designed for that market. And and it truly is going to be really patchy. What we're coming to learn about every market is that everyone has maybe an optimal time to launch, and that and they and they don't all line up. Hmm. Right, that's very clear to us. When it comes to resale, though, you know the the easy way that I think about it. And, and and again, this is just uh, just when I try to follow some of the data and some of the trends that you guys have done a really good job of sharing is I think the way that I'd share it is the markets that ran post COVID, right? The markets that truly bumped up because of that revision to the formula of how you add or how you think about value in those those suburban areas. Those are also the markets that, for the most part, have have been hit right over the last twelve months. They had a lot of space to be able to come off. You look at Vancouver West Side, you know, it didn't rise much and it certainly didn't depreciate much, right? It's, it's held very, very constant. The downtown core isn't too far off of that. It never went up and it never really went down. It's still hovering. Um, I think the markets that really ran, you know, Cloverdale, Delta, uh, Chilliwack, uh, Abbotsford, Langley, like those markets appreciated and specifically like single family did well in them, but a, like apartment product did really well in them, right? In, in many of those markets, it's up over 200% over the last 18 months or two years. And so I think those are the markets that are probably have come down quite a bit, anywhere from like 10%, in some cases, 20% consecutively. Those are the markets over the next six months to really watch because one, they're more affordable, right? So when you think about immigrants, Right. Our immigration policy has been really strong. They're going to rent for a period of time and then they find their way into that market generally year three, year four, year five. They're going to drive and fuel some of those secondaries. And so there's a reason why Surrey is going to be top of the list. But I, I think you go a little bit further east, like Chilliwack, um, or you look a little bit further, further north, right? Maybe into that Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam. Those markets seem to be so, so robust, so resilient over the last 12 months. And I think they're set up really well to perform well, maybe over the next 24 months. Thoughts on uh, Penticton? I mean, <laughs> I, I can't help but... Just a, general yeah, thoughts, just, though. <laughs> uh, it, it's cha- I mean, yeah, it's changing. It, right? it is, though, right? I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody about how advanced that hospital, the new hospital, is going to be. And when you think about all these boomers thinking about where they want to be in proximity to, like, a fantastic hospital, right? Just uh, And it, there seems to be a lot of hype around Penticton, but I know it's a it's a tough nut to crack, I think, in terms of changing quickly. So many markets in the in the Okanagan right now are hugely impacted from rates, right? And then we have recent shifts in uh, the Short-Term Accommodations Act, 
right? That really impacts Airbnb and revenue. And so I think those markets, it's going to be a pause, wait and see how they perform in Q1 and Q2, more so than you're going to see in some of these other markets. And so my guess is the fuse on those markets before they really take off, it's it's quite a bit longer. Um, but you're right, infrastructure that's gone into Penticton is, is, is incredible. I think there's a lot of amenities there that allow to service an older demographic really well, right? And then you also have still a younger generation that is somewhat freed up from having to be in the office every single day. They've, they've selected the Okanagan parts of it. I think part of it is, is just raw affordability, right? Penticton still, you know, relative Penticton, Kelowna, they're still very expensive pieces of real estate there. Um, you look at some of the, even the surrounding markets, like, you know, they go a little bit further, uh, up the valley, whether you're looking at like Vernon or Kamloops, I think all of that is going to probably perform quite nicely, but I, I just don't see it happening as early on as parts of the lower mainland. Like a Chilliwack. Like a Chilliwack. Like, yeah. a, like a really good example of Chilliwack, Abbotsford, and Langley, right? I mean, yeah. you, pieces of real estate that are going to transact are the ones that are the most affordable today. And, you know, in some of those cities, you're going to see concrete or four-story and six-story move in and provide density to traditionally more single-family or townhouse-type purchases. And I think that affordability is going to offer in like terms of one-bedrooms and two-bedrooms gives a little bit more upside. And, and I think that that's what drove those price points over the last two years in those communities, right? It's, it's on the back of you know, low aggregate purchase price um, uh, transactions. And so, you know, that's probably going to be the path forward because I think it's been the path when you look backwards. Makes sense. All right. What's going to be the lagging market in the lower mainland? I I thought the show you guys, like there's a lot of great data there and it it really caused me to go back and and dive a little bit deeper into it. And it felt like there is is some, some trends that, or, or, or certainly some breadcrumbs in terms of where it might be going. Mm-hmm. What kind of felt, and again, this only came out of the listening to your guys' discussion uh, because you know we spent all of our time in pre-sale. Resale obviously has some impact when it comes to the markets that were engaged in the lower mainland, but it felt like the Sunshine Coast and Bowen were the two highlights for me of really seeing those price points come off, right? And, yeah. and, and wanting to spend a little bit more time trying to understand why that is. And it felt like, you know, my, my guess is, is because some of those locations were were purchased with recreational intention. Yeah. Right. And then, so maybe there's a little bit of pullback, but there's these great community, like, like for example, in Nanaimo, right? Like that's affordable housing, mm-hmm. right? You can, you, you'll be able to purchase townhome in that community. That'll be equally as livable as any part of the lower mainland. So it, 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 it has a grassroots feel. You have really strong values in that community. And you can't not get excited about some of those locations. Yeah, I'm just going to layer on the fact that um, those communities, which includes uh, a lot of the recreational communities, but it also include the high-end real estate waterfront, use that as an example, where something, uh, where supply cannot respond to demand. It's almost a fixed supply or, or you know, Bowen Island can't just add a whole lot of supply. Yeah. But when the market shows up and or the demand shows up, the demand spikes, supply can't respond to that. So the values jump. Mm-hmm. But the downside of that is equally the same. So... The high-end single-family market has seen that come off, you know, you know, quite a bit, and uh, and can turn the other way equally as fast. So um, it's important for I think for us to think about what are those markets where the industry and supply can respond to demand, and what are those that can't or has more difficult difficulty in doing that in a in a meaningful uh, way. So um, you know, obviously, a rarefied real estate has potentially the most maybe long-term appreciation potential, but. Uh, but it can also, if demand turns off, it can go the other way pretty quick. Right. You know, one that stood out for me is Surrey, right? Like there, it's so, it's like the data um, felt very clear on some of those more affordable markets, but Surrey, Surrey was a performer yeah. over the last 12 months. And I feel like we've talked about 
Surrey as the values got so it's like detached so high it, but it's still it feels like the demand there is just insatiable in in a lot of ways right like it I feel like it, certain people want to be there regardless and it's uh regardless of the price point that's where it's it's like they want to live in Surrey well 50% of our province's housing starts will be Surrey Langley Abbotsford so yep. i think that sentiment underestimates just you know what a large population base and, and geographical area that that is. And so, right. you know, we, we uh, on the pre-sale side, we, we get highlighted around some of the more, you know, obvious projects, the, the higher density projects. But but if you look at the whole region, the amount of housing that is getting created there, needing to be created there to, to satisfy the demand is huge. Yeah, it, and it, it's not necessarily a broad stroke, right? Like the the communities that were, were doing really well or that seem to be doing really well, they're not in the middle of nowhere with nothing around them. Uh, a lot of the communities that are performing, they have this pocket in the central part of the community that's an activated zone, right? Where you can maybe recreate some some of the feelings that you have around energy centers, like whether it's Brentwood or Metro Town or the downtown core. It has it has that feeling of activation, right? It has that feeling of busyness. And I think it felt like for, uh, for us, they're in close proximity to also maybe like a five to 10 minute ride of some sort of outdoor greenery, like whether it's trail systems or whether it's like true recreation that you can do with the family on the weekend. And so, I mean, something that we're paying close attention to, but, you know, any of those communities that seem to kind of capture all of it and, you know, Port Coquitlam is a really good example of this, right? Uh, Port Moody, another really good example of Mm -hmm. this, like, you know, and Penticton, right? Again, like there's parts of parts of that community. Uh, Kelowna has parts of that community as well. I think those are probably the ones to pay close attention to. There's one, there's one little piece that I wanted to to share, which is a little bit along these themes. Um, and that is just the difference between resale and presale. Um, <laughs> Ryan asked the question, how's the, how's the resale market? And so there's always a, you, you take two pieces of real estate. One is brand new, never been occupied and, um, and uh, a home that might be in great shape, but it's, you know, five or six years old or something like that. There's a, there's a value differential between those two. And it's somewhere between seven and 10% historically, somewhere along the lines, which is, uh, you kind of, I'll just call it a, a rule of thumb. That can be, you know, more expensive real estate that can, or, or ones where we're a little more price sensitive, you know, maybe that's a little tighter, but in a, in a condo basis, which is mostly a condo and, and multifamily basis, um, it's usually around 10% differential uh, as a rule of thumb, but then it's the time to deliver it. So it's roughly between two and 4% per year to deliver it. So if it's a tower is about three to four years out. So, you know, that's going to be the 10% plus two to four times the three years. So that's going to be roughly between 60 and 22% is about a normalized historical differential. So if someone's in Metro Town says, oh my gosh, I can buy this thing for 1100 bucks a foot, or they could buy brand new for uh, 1300 bucks a foot. You know, looking at the, all the historical numbers, this is not me making up, looking up all the historical numbers through the, through the down cycles and the up cycles. There's roughly 16, 22% differential between those two markets. And if it's an outlier, then you're going to have a, either a good deal, depending on if, if the, um, the presale is, is really close to the resale values, then that presale is exceptional value. If you find a, a resale unit that is beyond 22% from what you can buy new for, then, then that, is an outlier value, and so we are seeing that 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 gap is in some markets uh, has grown a little bit, but now it's but now it's pretty much tightened up again. So it's in kind of a normal band of that differential. A frame project, you know, if it's one year out, it'd be twelve to fourteen percent difference by to a frame project. You know, if it's delivering it in a year from now. So now those are kind of rules of thumb. But when our team did all the analysis, that that kind of that is, uh, I, I feel like there's a bunch of people with spreadsheets out there that are going to love 
Oh, that too. They, <laughs> they can test me on this. Oh man, this one. Well, there's, there's going to be outliers, but those outliers show anomalies in the market, right? And so, so uh, I think that's why. Back to the earlier conversation we had about people really doing their homework, looking around, finding that relative value, and the market. Now, a lot of people are buying with long delivery days, you know, delivery dates, but they're playing. They're playing that gap. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying, hey, you know, uh, we can we can wait uh, four years to to take possession of this of this. By then, we expect or forecasting interest rates to be lower. Some are making that bet. The economists of the world say that they'll be right, but uh, um, but you never know. And um, and but that's what the majority are doing, and that's why it's it's maintaining that that value gap. Yeah, we've talked about that on the show about going into certain areas where there's a lot of new construction and looking at what you know within ten year old buildings, concrete maybe in the area. Like, what are they selling at, and if that gap's too wide going in and partly because I think project marketing companies are fantastic marketers and and more more hype to the area as well um, and off, obviously more commercial space infrastructure filling in but it, it is a good strategy if you have that if you have that yeah those yeah. numbers are super useful yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go a step further though those those projects that may only be um, five years old but they were planned 10 years ago. So, so it's hard to make the apples apples comparison. The units might be bigger, um, the amenities may not be that great, or you know, uh, even if they're well maintained buildings, they were conceived ten years ago, and their 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 specs and their finishes um, are, would be a step down. And so you kind of stack it all up. And so today, we and our development partners are very carefully trying to make sure that we're curating real estate to meet the demands of today's housing consumer. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the real estate has evolved. The units are you know, maybe a little more thoughtful or, you know, they, they might have that work from home workstation or whatever. You know, there's something there's something to address today's demands of the market. So that partly shows up in the value proposition. So, yes, you can find old you can find right. old, you can buy a 650 square foot one bedroom, but it could be poorly laid out and terrible and mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't make any sense. And we could maybe have a much more efficient 540 square foot one bedroom. And so obviously on a price per foot basis, it'll be a lot higher. But on an absolute basis, it might be quite close in value. So I think it's important that that uh, even an investor, if they're never going to live in it, they're still looking at it with that lens. They're really saying, you know, right. what what is suiting today's housing consumer? What is thoughtful real estate? Not just within the four walls, but within the building. And so there's there's going to be that that value gap no matter what. And mm-hmm. So to really kind of evaluate that, and my, my percentages that I threw out there that that our team has uh, has discovered and evaluated, you know, those are those are rules and thumb, but they, they show up because of a lot of those nuances that I just described. I mean, there's there's some markets that that number is $500 a square foot, right? Maybe in some cases, maybe even a bit more than that. And then there's other markets. Uh, Coquitlam's a good example of this. You know, very resilient market, strong market. And, and that's because it's a melting pot, right? You have so many different cultures that are that are looking towards that area and being able to support lifestyle there. You know, there's a period of time where Coquitlam resale pricing was selling 50 bucks off of off of pre-sale pricing, right? When that gap is that tight, you know that there's possible expansion on on pricing. Um, and there's a few markets uh, throughout the lower mainland. It's not 50 anymore, mm-hmm. but certainly 100 to, to $200 per square foot difference. And when you start to see it being that tight, you know that there's a real upside, potentially for an investor if they are looking for a long-term play. Fantastic. That's yeah. uh, Those are two very useful, uh, actionable kind of takeaways there. We do have this segment called the Five Wire. Uh, five quick questions to end the show. You got time for that? Sounds familiar. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> the Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, 
That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. One book you've read recently that you would recommend? Uh, I was telling Ryan, we, we, we both are, are love to read and um, I'm a hiker, so I'm always doing Audible. And uh, I read three books over the holidays and they were, all three were terrible. Wow. Like, like, yeah, I, know, I didn't want to share what they were, but all three, I tried <laughs> my best to get into them and, uh, and, and all, of, I didn't, I finished one and the other ones. I were just, they business books or no, were they? No, I don't, I don't read a whole lot of business books. Uh, you know, I like fiction. I like history. And, um, and uh, so anyways, um, maybe I should have read a business book anyways. Um, but I will say that I've been uh, uh, listening to um, a podcast, the founders, the founders oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I love it because it's really a, like a book review of, of, you know, uh, famous, famous founders and uh, their life lessons. And, you know, they're nice little nuggets about uh, 45 minutes to an hour. You really get a terrific sense of, of, um, of this individual. And uh, it's, it's uh, well recommended. Yeah. I, I started listening to that as well. Um, you get sick and tired of the Vancouver podcast. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't want to, <laughs> but it's funny. Um, <laughs> it was such a smart idea. That that guy goes in and yeah. kind of breaks it down, and yeah. He, yeah, he's got a goal to do thirteen hundred and sixty nine books, I think, and, yeah, uh, and he's already done uh, over you know, his less than a thousand to go, and he's just methodically going through them. It's and pretty and awesome, you know what? And I went back to the early days, which I'd never recommend anybody do to this show uh, either, but it was like pretty, like when he started, like any podcast, right? I'm sure it gets a lot better, but the idea of that is like, man, and he's built a massive following like it's just just goes to show uh, uh one other uh thing i'll admit to is that i listen to your your podcast i tried to read most of the books of your guests and so uh i've read probably uh you know three or four that have been great recommendations that i would have never picked up on my own so that's good i thought you were gonna say uh, the last three yeah <laughs> <laughs> those ones of the holidays the terrible ones i'm not gonna down. mention yeah. <laughs> and ryan yeah i kind of like cam i'm i I spent a lot of time reading. Um, I'm on this. I'm on this kick of going back through uh, all of the classics that I may or may not have read in uh, in in grade school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really enjoying a couple of them. And and one that one that I polished off recently was um, Orwell, uh, 1984. Oh, okay. Went to that. That was that was really fun. Just to like, I remember how it made me feel back when I was in grade school. And yeah. it's funny. Like it's it's actually much much worse now, I think, when I read it, like just the feelings of, of emotion around, around what that world could feel like. And then one that, I, one that I'm really loving right now uh, is, uh, it's, I, I just dropped it off to you guys. It's um, Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, it's really soft, but um, there's a couple of big, big takeaways in there. My, one of my favorite lines that he uses, Cam, you've read it, so uh, you'll, you'll, re you'll remember this, is um, earn your Saturdays. Just like make sure that whatever you're doing in life, that you're always earning those weekends. And that was nice. that kind of stuff. Oh, wow, that's a great one. I was actually uh, on a beach in December 
And I looked over and a young woman was reading 1984, like on the beach. And it was like this beautiful day. And I was going like, that's not, like that's a not a great yeah. uh, beach read. And then I looked down and I was reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road, yeah. uh, which is yeah. even like, even worse. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, and this was this was all aligning when that Sam Altman stuff was happening with uh, with OpenAI, right? And so it's just, right. <laughs> yeah. I, the eight, 1984 feels like it's yeah, it was very prescient. Uh, but yeah, I don't know when I read that in the early 90s or whenever I did, it seemed like kind of a far off idea. That it's less far off now. Well, that's the shocking part yeah. of it to me was you know there's aspects of our society where it's actually much worse. Yeah. Right. And then there's others that we've, we've actually done a really good job of managing. Uh, that's a great one. Uh, in the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say I feel like I've upped my sauna game lately. I'm doing a, I'm doing a good job of that. I'm liking that. Um, and then, oh, yeah, you do. You were doing cold plunges. Doing like plunges, you've yeah. been doing those. You're yeah. 10 years ahead of the curve I'm, I've on been that. doing those for a while. But the sauna, the sauna has been a lot of fun. Um, and then probably the other habit that I'm, that I'm, I'm really liking right now is, uh, Ash and I, my, my wife, Ashley, we spend, um, we take tons of photos. And so every day we're just like, Hey, what would be like the photo of the day that we're, uh, we're huh. thinking about. Right. And, and more often than <laughs> it's just another photo of one of our children, but, yeah, yeah. but, but it's every day <laughs> we're trying to highlight one of them and keep it going. And, and that was a, a friend of mine recommended that. And we've been doing it. It's been a lot of fun. Is the sauna an infrared or is it a? Uh, it's traditional. Yeah. Traditional. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, it's, it's an electric, you know, you kind of, nice. you, you run it at the regular temperatures. But what I, what I'm really liking about it is, is uh, we have it in our home. And so it's just, a, it's been a really great place where Ash and I are just on that train. And so not only are we getting some heat, but it's also just a nice time to, to talk about the day. Totally. Yeah. Nice. And Cameron. Uh, last time I was here, I was in crutches. I had an Achilles. Yeah. In, I had an Achilles injury, and so this is kind of boring. But uh, I'm just doing stretching and rehab exercises religiously, and it's great because not only am I improving, you know, my 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 health of my my leg, but uh, it's just kind of very cathartic and you know almost like my my Zen time that I do every day. And so um, I do it in the evenings, and it's awesome. It's a great one. Anything you guys have been binge watching over the holidays or since? Favorite movie? Oh man, I just fell back into Yellowstone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I, I got lost in the last season. There was too many too many dancing horses, but uh, the, the first couple seasons were were great. Yellowstone. I there's actually a a, a group that has a um, it's like a a theme hotel in Montana called Yellowstone, where I think you can, you know, rich people go and pretend to be cowboys uh, for two weeks or so. That Wait, that's been, isn't that, uh, we used to call that city slickers. That well, yeah, it? that's the idea. But anyways, there's a, yeah, I just saw it the other day, but how about you, Cameron? Yeah, my, it's kind of surprising. I'm close. Uh, we finally broke down and and uh, subscribed to whatever one is doing 1984. Which, which one's doing 1984 now? Or 1884, 1884, yeah. 1884. Your book, your book, Mr. Paramount. Paramount. <laughs> Paramount, Paramount. Anyways, we, after watching Yellowstone and, and loving that, we held Oh, off. is that the yeah, spinoff? We, we, yeah, yeah. We yeah. held off, we held off, we held off. And finally, we, you know, splurged for the $10 a month or whatever, just so we could watch 1884. Is it good? Yeah, it's excellent. It's very different, which is kind of cool. So, um, wow. Yeah, it's cool, yeah. We're right in the middle of it. It's great. I feel like you guys are on enough where favorite bands can't be the question. We got to do like, what are you listening, are you listening to? to lately? I'm like sad and also really happy. To t- uh, we're all about T-Swift right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have two daughters, nine and six. Yeah. And like, 
Yeah. Every party, every weekend, it's like Swifty. Could be worse, honestly. Yeah. Uh, could, could be worse. <laughs> There's more dads. Yeah. I, I feel like, Swift, yeah, I think. I feel like it's by uh, virtue. Yeah. And the, and the best is that the daughters are singing it so much. Brooke and, Brooke and Harper are just hammering on it. And then Ashley's singing it. And I'm, I'm doing my best to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, but also kid influenced. Um, my, my son, daughter, 21, 23, are super into heavy metal. My son's crazy. I and this, yeah, yeah. But, but to the point where, um, as probably came up the last one, one I'm listening to, but uh, in the fall, we went to a heavy metal festival in California. And it was a Metallica, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, ACDC, <laughs> everybody. Um, so I spent three days in earplugs. And uh, so, so I'm saying it's probably a little bit more in that spectrum these days. Were you in the metal growing up? or is No, like... I wasn't. I wasn't, uh, wow. you know, so, um, you know, <laughs> obviously, you know, grew up in that era with all those, those big hair bands, but, uh, but, um, I wasn't, uh, you know, crazy into it, but, uh, it's all, wow, that's it's, I got to, you know, relive it. It's pretty awesome. It's great. Last but not least, uh, something you have purchased for under $1,500 that has had a positive influence on your life recently. Uh, so this could, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? So this could be a, a good idea for, for anyone for their better halves. Um, I got, <laughs> uh, careful here. I got, this is the, this is the best. This is, this is like a super luxury. Right? It's probably like, you know, $1,200. So I'm like, I got a Dyson V11 vacuum cleaner. It's a stand up vacuum. It is awesome. I, uh, you know, get way more use out of it just because it's so convenient. Yeah works. It's fantastic. Highly recommended. I'm going to say proceed with caution when you buy your wife a yeah. vacuum. Oh, no, I didn't say, say, I didn't say <laughs> buy the wife. Significant other. Significant other yeah. Anyone listening for the significant <laughs> other. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, okay. I, I, you know, you're, putting, you're putting words in the mouth there. You're putting words in the mouth there. <laughs> it is quite, yeah. it is quite, it's quite amazing though. <laughs> vacuum or running shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's some, so, so it wasn't necessarily a, a thing, but Ash and I went, uh, went away to kind of like a wellness resort. But what was really great about it is that they have this policy, just no cell phones, like no, no connection for 48 hours. Wow. Right. And like, what, like I, I haven't been off my phone like that, uh, probably since like ever. Yeah. Phones were Grade created. 10, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just like to be able to just sit with some thoughts, right. And like be able to kind of like build some stuff out and, you know, there's a ton of recreation there and, and some really good food, but for the most part, it's just like, it's about presence, uh, with your partner and presence with thought. And so that was, that was really enjoyable. And it, did you find it hard for the first couple hours? Was there, uh, you know, like you, you get these, um, you get like, you, you, you start with something and then you just, you see it through, right. You just, you're, you're left with an idea. And I think that that was the, the big takeaway for both Ash and I was, was that you you give some perspective and some reflection to your life, but it was it was actually it came back to work for us, right? It was just you know you have a, a perspective around maybe what the data is showing or where the market's going, and and then to be able to have like two hours or three hours of thinking that through is where you're not like right squirrel, yeah, yeah. squirrel, yeah, yeah. car, <laughs> yeah, really good at chasing cars. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but thanks so much for taking the time, uh, Cameron and Ryan. And uh, how can people learn out more about MLA Canada and, of course, uh, MLA uh, Intel Report? You know, we mentioned it 
earlier, but watching our um, our newswire every morning is a great way to stay stay apprised of uh, not only what's happening in the market uh, and the headlines around uh, uh, Canadian real estate, Vancouver real estate, but also um, uh, future projects or any of the information that that uh, we we circulate as well, including our our uh, pre sale pulse that we do on a frequent basis, which is a fantastic uh, summary of of the month and uh, the look forward. Um, so I encourage everyone to sign up if they're not already to the MLA Newswire. I second that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a good one. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Thanks, boys. Appreciate thanks it. so much for having us. Thank you, guys. So there you have folks, our discussion with Cameron McNeil and Ryan Lalonde, executive directors from MLA Canada. You know, it's funny, but I mean, really, you get talking, you forget that you're even recording, like immediately. And usually it's just with these guys because we have a really good conversation. The rapport is just fantastic. What did I say? Like, I got to go back and listen to that because you almost get too comfortable in here. Yeah, yeah. No, this is one I'm, I'm going to listen to a second time, that's for sure. Some really interesting, again, like that, the, the gaps in the pre-sale, resale market stand out. Huge. There's, there's so many takeaways. I'm, I'm blanking on them right now, but I feel like this is one I'm going back with a notebook. Yeah. The project launches and, and the absorption rates that, that Ryan was talking about. There's so many, I, I know, I feel like uh, we covered a lot of ground here. Um, but I think anybody who is really, really kind of likes to dig into the market or people in the industry are going to love this episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. What else do we have before we uh, cut for the week? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. I feel like pre-sale is ramping up. We have some VIP access to a number of pre-sales that we send out on the live wire. We also have deal of the month. We have stats, different types of stats, uh, stats before anyone else. And you can also dig into sub-markets, which is really useful. We also have, of course... Private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available on our site. Best time to be looking at PCS right now because you're going to see those sold prices. Set up your search, get notifications about new listings. This is the way to do it for sure. We should also say we're actually heading out to Whistler tomorrow. That's right. For a couple of days to go to the Be the Better Broker conference. Is that what it's um, called? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Dustin Woodhouse's. Dust, Dustin Woodhouse's uh, conference. This is, so Stephen Polaz is, is speaking. No big deal. Uh, one of the guests. There's some other really big names. Well, leave but, it to um, Dustin, right? He's got brokers coming from across the country, but man, it's a who's who. I, I'm there just to hear Dustin Woodhouse. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, he's I the mean, draw. He's, 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 he's clearly big, the draw. He's on, we're on some thread where he's clearly... Uh, he is the draw. There's yeah. no question about that. But some big guests, uh, we might even be able to squeeze a podcast or two out of it. You know what? Yeah. But, and I mean, really, my big thing is uh, there's we're going to have probably one solid day, I think, uh, at the actual of conference. Skiing? Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> of skiing. <laughs> Half day of skiing. But anyways, we're super excited. So if you are heading to that conference, uh, look forward to seeing you there. Absolutely. If you want to contact me about that or anything else, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You can also uh, try that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a fantastic week. And next week, we're back with another great episode. 
in the can, I just got to mention it again because I've thought about it a lot yeah. uh, since we had this conversation, but Tom Davidoff is back. Tom Davidoff is back, never to be missed. Hopefully we, uh, you know, this conference, this would be, I don't know if we'll, we'll we're not live podcasting from the conference. Kind of wish we were. We should almost be bringing a mobile studio here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> sm- smash that subscribe button at the very least and you'll find out how it plays out. Have a great week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.